is the CTO at the Zontech Park and his experience in the tech field makes him the right person to take us on his ride. Kindly help me welcome Daniel Ali to the webinar. Welcome, Daniel. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. I'll turn on my video, make it uh, a little less uh, boring. Uh, my name is Daniel. Um, I welcome everyone uh, onto this webinar. Uh, so today we are going to be talking about one of the two major buzzwords. I mean, of uh, that we've been we've become used to in the last within the last uh, few years, especially the last five years thereabout. I'm sure everybody on this call uh, will agree with me that artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, is now so popular that it doesn't matter where you turn your, you know, your face, you always hear a whole lot about it, right? Um, another one that has become very popular also is blockchain. Unlike artificial intelligence, however, um, you know, a lot of people don't seem to uh, really understand what exactly is blockchain? Why is it so popular? Why is everybody talking about it? And more importantly, um, for those of us uh, on this call who attended our last um, webinar, the one that we did last month on uh, digital transformation, fast tracking digital transformation post COVID-19. We talked extensively about some of the technologies, some of the technologies that um, we should be focusing on, not just as developers, uh, but also even as business uh, leaders uh, extensively because um, it, it, it's going to begin to shape how we interact, what kind of businesses uh, we focus on, how people behave. You know, it's going to shape our lives entirely. And this uh, is something we can, that we cannot run away from. So we better be prepared for it, um, basically. So, um, so exactly how are we going to be moving today in terms of... Um, what is this webinar going to be covering? Very short, very brief, but our, our goal today is to, is to be able to ensure that everybody on this call, by the time we are done with this one hour, we promise it has to be very engaging. We should be able to really understand what is blockchain one. And if I want to become a participant, uh, whether from a business perspective or from uh, a technology standpoint, we should also be able to have a clear picture of where exactly should we, uh, what exactly should we be focusing on? Um, I'm assuming you can see my screen, right? So basically, what exactly are we going to be talking about today? One is the what. Uh, for instance, we, we, we need to be able to define what is blockchain. Uh, another, big, another word for blockchain is distributed ledger technology, which is DLT. What exactly does it mean? Why do we refer to, why do we always, uh, whenever we think about trust, whenever we think about security, why does blockchain come to mind, right? So that's one of the things we are going to be addressing in this webinar. Um, another thing we are going to be addressing in this webinar is why. So if, if this technology is what it is, why exactly is it like that? What makes it, so apart from the fact that we should be able to understand what is the technology, right? Uh, what can it be used for? The next question we need to be able to answer is, why is it a big deal? I mean, that's one of the bigger, big questions that a lot of us have been asking. Why exactly is it a big deal? And uh, what makes it so robust? Uh, and what, what is it that has made it so popular? And the third thing 
that we also should be able to talk about is the how, especially so by the time we are looking at the what, the why, and the how, we should have been able to speak to the business, to the entrepreneurial side of it, where you're probably looking at going into blockchain as a business person. Uh, maybe it's the next solution that you, have, that, that you need to build. Uh, is it the next, whatever it is that you want to do from an entrepreneurial uh, um, uh, standpoint? Or also, we also should then be able to also uh, inspire to, to a great deal the developers who really want to go into blockchain as, um, you know, as uh, from, from the technology uh, perspective, especially what does it mean for developers, innovators, and, uh, and businesses as a whole. So, a bit of history. Right. Uh, we all remember when Web Web 1.0 started. Uh, the entire focus of the web when it started around 1990 is basically to provide um, people want to be able to sell text. You know, just simple information, HTML, basic email. Uh, you know, the focus was not on images. We don't have a lot of focus on on um, you know on um, on videos. It was basically. So at that point, if you are working with a with, with an internet provider, an ISP, for instance, that is giving you, uh, say, some eighty kilobit per seconds, you are comfortable. You don't you don't even feel like you are missing anything. And then sometimes in, in the in the year two thousand, we start we, we entered into the web two point zero era, where the entire focus of the internet started shifting from being information centric. I mean, to becoming information-centric. So the, the focus then was how much information are you putting out? Um, it, it has to be a lot, whether you are representing yourself in graphics, whether you are putting a lot of you know, effort into video, the content then becomes the center of everything. It has to be informative and it has to be interactive. I'm sure we all agree on this. Um, but then, this is year 2020, basically. This is the era of Web 3.0. It is being ushered in powerfully. And we, you will all agree with me that the entire focus now is gradually shifting from information, from the information itself to the user itself. I give an example. Let me bring this home so that it becomes clearer. Um, your footprint, your, the metadata and the footprint that you leave online, whether you're you know, uh, engaging on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or any other platform is now being collected by a number of organizations. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the this is one of the major reasons that you are now being served personalized advertisements based on your shopping history. Uh, if you are the kind of person that likes to you know browse through um, e-commerce sites, for instance, that sell shoes. You'll be surprised that the next time you open your browser, you know you most likely get feel, feel, uh, feeds that are personalized to you more, much more than um, than it used to be. You you get to see things that you really care about, and then you are wondering how do how, how do how, how do these people get to know that I like shawarma? Because now you are starting to see uh, you know uh, more information about the best shawarma in town. Uh, anytime you log into in, into your uh, popular uh, uh, browsers. Now, the, so the interesting thing is that the people, the user is now the center of Web 3.0, not the information, right? Which means that you're putting a lot of personal data, you know, personal information about people out there. We then need a system that is more secure. We need a system that is very private, and that has been the fear of a number of organizations. We need a system that is decentralized. For instance, um, I remember on one of our last webinars, uh, there was a particular question that somebody asked 
I'm not particularly sure we were able to answer that question because of time, but it bothers on with all this amount of information going out, how am I really then sure that my data is secured? I mean, in the hand of one organization, one central authority, right? So the whole point is that we need Web 3.0 is attempting to make people valuable again, meaning that the new internet has to be user-centric, it has to be more secured, it has to be more private, and more importantly, it has to be more connected. This is the era where social media has redefined exactly how we need to be able to relate. And more importantly, now that there is COVID-19 has come, it's probably getting ready to go, but we all know that human behavior is not going to return to what it used to be. So which means there is the need now, more than ever, to be able to interact virtually, basically. Um, so which leads us to, why do we need this technology? And that's why I'm going to spend a while here so that we can all understand the current system that we work with. What's the big deal? What's, what, what are some of the major issues that we have? And that's why I'm saying, how does the current system struggle with trust? So I'm going to pick a few examples. Um, I will not start with an example of finance. Uh, just to be sure that I'm not talking to myself. Uh, can you guys hear me? Yes. Thank you. Uh, yes, okay. Thank you. So, yes, we can hear you, sir. Thank you. Yes. So, yes, we can so, hear you, sir. So basically, um, how does the current system struggle with trust? I'm going to pick an example in the automobile industry. I, I, I will not use example in the finance because whenever we think of blockchain, cryptocurrency, it's as if the only thing that we always remember, the only thing that comes to mind, honestly, uh, a lot of the time has always been around banking and finance. But there is a whole lot more that can be done beyond those two eras. And that's why I'm, I'm going to be starting from an example. Let's pick the automobile industry. You are buying a car, for instance. Um, a number of, especially in this part of the world, majority of us don't have a lot of money to buy new cars. I mean, so a lot of the time you end up, you have to buy a car that has been used by someone. Either you are buying a Tokumbo that has been used by in uh, a particular country and then it's shipped down here. Or in some instances, you are even buying, um, a, you know, a used Tokumbo, third order, fourth order, depending on the order. And one of the things that you always want to find out first and foremost before you buy a car is the, what is the working condition of the car, right? Has this car ever been in an accident? Is the engine working fine? How many times has this car been, I, I mean, how many times have we, um, how many times have we, have you serviced this car before? These are questions that you basically ask. These are the questions that you basically ask the um okay uh i mean bola can you help me mute some mics a number of mics are giving a lot of feedback basically yeah a number of mics are on can we all mute our mic please so that it makes it easier for all of us right thank you okay so so i was talking about the automobile industry so you're buying a car and then the only information that you have about the health of that car, of that car is the information given to you by the owner of the car. The truth is, even if, that, even if there's a database where, those, where that information is being recorded, that information can be altered. You know, it's possible that every time I go to service my car, every time, I go, every time the car is involved in a major issue, we're logging it somewhere, and that data is available online. But the day I want to sell that car to you, you know, as the, as the owner of the car, and you, you intend to buy that car from me, the day I'm about to sell that car, if I realize that there is an amount of data, there's a particular part of the data that will be capturing about that car that is going to hurt me because um, it's going to drop the valuation of the car. 
I have, I can always bribe someone, right? We, we all understand that what that means, you know? I can always bribe someone. I can always figure out a way for someone to get to the back end of that data, of that entire application and edit that data from source, you know? You can only trust what I'm prevent, presenting to you, only for you to buy that car and realize that this is actually not the way it is, uh, you know, that this thing is, is actually, so simply because the data can be altered. And that's the major problem such that, so one, we're struggling with the fact that data is not available. And in a lot of instances, when the data is available, it can be altered. It has, this has been a major problem, especially for car insurance companies. So for instance, um, a lot of car insurance companies have to go through some very funny, they have to put in place funny policies to be able to get people to make a claim to their, to their car insurance uh, when, when something happens, because there is no way for them to actually verify that really this car has been through this much. Another case is, which I, I'm sure we are all very familiar with, is the cross-border remittance. So let me give an example. You want to send the money from Nigeria to your own, um, I mean, to your child or your, your, or your sister or your brother or your wife or anyone in, um, say, in the U.S. You have to approach a bank, right? You make that money, whether through some, some money transfer um, program, you don't, sometimes it takes days. In some instances, some people, it takes weeks before you even get that money. The moment that money is traveling across border, you're transferring money from Nigeria to UK, or you're sending money, or your brother from UK is sending you money. You, it's, it, we don't have a system that allows for us to be able to say, I send that money at 8 a.m., you should be able to cash it at 8.10 or 8.30 or 8.20. Sometimes you need to wait for this. And I'm sure some of us have, have experienced this. This has been a major problem. And why is this a problem? It's understandable because when I am sending money, there is a central authority. I'm using CBN because this is Nigeria, right? There is a central authority. You, you post your money. That money needs to go through some protocols in the CBN because it's going also out of the country. At the CBN, somebody sits on it. A particular amount of money in terms of commission, processing fee, that's what we call it, is going to be deducted. When that money is finally deducted, when you get to the other side, you know, it takes days, a lot of processes. And the reason is that there is a central authority. So everything you need to do has to go through that central authority. That central authority has created a multi-platform solution where you as the person that wants to send the money and the other person that needs to receive the money, they stay in the middle. That's how they make their money. But apart from the fact that you then have to pay for trust, you know, the reason you are entrusting your $2 million, $1 million into the hands of that central authority is because you trust them. But what you're having to do in return is you are paying for the trust, right? In some instances, this has been working in the past, but looking at the volume of transaction that goes on today in the world globally in the financial sector, this, is, this has become highly ineffective, really. And I'm sure some of us can actually uh, relate with this. The third example I will give, let's use this. I know some of us uh, can actually uh, uh, look at this particular sense. Now, you're buying a drug from a particular um, pharmacy. Sometimes it is difficult for you to be able to really tell whether what you're buying is original or fake. There has been the need for us to, I mean, a number of organizations, a number of entrepreneurs have been thinking about creating an authentication solution for, you know, for goods and services. If I'm, if I'm buying, if I, if I buy a, a particular product from, say, Walmart, and then they need to ship it from, um, from one part of the country to another part of the country, how can I be sure that in the process of that entire supply, you know, that logistic and supply chain that something has not been missing. What if my original product that I've bought has been replaced with an apamid? I mean, 
in case in this case i'm not saying there are no you understand what i'm saying that is is being replaced by a substandard product what if i'm buying a product from x i bought x which has abcd features but by the time it is delivered it is exactly something else how do we ensure that you can actually guarantee that throughout the entire journey something doesn't go off for instance i'm going to give a practical example here there is a med, there's a ledger solution that has just been launched by the big farmers in the u.s um major a number of some of the big farmers uh farmers in the u.s farmers i mean pharmacists now um are actually part of this entire initiative is to be used to manage their the supply chain drug and um, pharmaceutical product supply chain such that end-to-end, -end, that entire supply chain is now going to be monitored with blockchain. The, and the reason is simple. Why? Which is some of these we are going to be considering in our next slide. Why exactly we've seen how trust can be breached, whether you are dealing with an automobile record, recording system, hospital record management, or you're dealing with the financial industry where money has to be transferred. There's a lot of delay that comes in, apart from the fact that you need to also worry a whole lot about trust. How can I be sure that my money will get delivered? How can I be sure someone, someone else will not hijack it? And the integrity of information. In this case, information can be digital. Information can be, can be, can be non-digital. In, uh, in some instances, it's a record of, um, of transactions. In some other instances, it has to do with physical goods that you need to move around. How can I be sure that some of these things have not been tampered with? And that has been this, the, the kind of uh, struggle that we've had to deal with in a while. It's caused a lot of fr frustrations for consumers. It's been a lot of frustrations for businesses, you know. And so more importantly, it then brings us to the entire concept of, so what is blockchain? And what exactly can it be used for, basically? Blockchain in itself, like the name suggests, is a chain of block. You can see my uh, illustrative diagram here where we just have a, you know, chains of block that are being connected together. Um, Bitcoin, for instance, is literally the first ledger. Um, it's literally like the first world thing that came out from, the, from that entire conversation um, a while ago. But exactly what does this block? So each of these blocks that we're chaining together, what exactly do they do? The block itself is, a, is digital information. That's the block stored in a public database. Now, we'll get to talk about the fact that blockchain, one of the key things that has happened is that there is no central authority. You know, it's, it's like we jointly own it. Before you can do anything, we must all be aware of what is going on. So one, there is a digital information block, a, a whole lot of them, there are millions and billions and all that, and then they are stored together in a public database. Now, this block store information about transactions. It could be about transactions, it could be date, time, age, amount, anything you can think of. Uh, from the generic definition of information, then the block stores information about who is participating in the transaction. Are there 50 people on this transaction? Uh, person. Now, because we've been able to look at the profile of, the relative profile of our attendance, and we realize that we have a mix. Everybody on this call, we are not all developers. We have developers, we have business, um people so we've been able to put this entire conversation together in a way um yeah we've been able to put the, put the entire conversation together in a way that would um that would really make it easier for everybody to be able to participate right um okay sorry i need to go back the slide uh okay cool. 
right. So, um, so, so basically, what exactly is blockchain technology, right? Uh, blockchain, and that's one of the conversations we started earlier. Blockchain is a term used to describe, uh, we, we call it a digital ledger technology, distributed ledger technology. It's used to create a storage system for data in a distributed and immutable manner. So these are big, these are big words, right? So exactly what does distributed, what does it mean, right? Um, distributed means that it is not in a single place. Um, so I, I have a piece of data that needs to be, that needs to be stored. So we're able to move, so, so just the same way you can have the data in different, for, uh, different laptops. So for instance, different servers can actually save that data together. So you have multiple copies of that data, multiple, multiple chunks of, of, um, of that same data. Uh, please give me one minute. I want to grant permission because I understand there are a number of other people also on, uh, on one of our other platforms. So I want to quickly grant a permission so that we'll be able to, they also will be able to participate uh, in the call, basically. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's coming up. Uh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so I'm just going to present my screen again, and then we can go on from here. Yeah, can you guys see my screen? Please? Just to be sure I'm still here. Yeah, we can. Thank, thank you. Yes, we can. Yeah, so, so the question is, we're then saying, what, is, what does distributed mean, right? Distributed means that a, a whole lot of, so we call them nodes. So uh, instead of one person being the one in charge of the data, you don't have a single server. Uh, one person in charge of the server is the one that owns the entire infrastructure node. So we now have a situation where there can be several um, the, the, you know, different nodes that keep the same copy of the same information. We'll see how that works as we move on. So you realize that I have the, a data of a transaction that happens that took place at 10 a.m. on Monday. That record has been saved on, say, 500 different nodes. So it means that it makes it very difficult for any individual to be able to log in. The moment you log into one of the servers and you, you make a change, you change the information on the transaction on one of the nodes. It renders it completely invalid because it's distributed. So it, is, it will be very difficult for, for you as an individual to be able to convince 500 people that, hey, I want to game this system. This data has been recorded. We need to change it. So that makes it difficult, one, because it is distributed. So it's, it's that it guarantees trust to a very large extent. You can't make any change. It's difficult. And on the other side, immutability means that the moment you write the data, it cannot change. And honestly, that's, that, that's, that's, what, that's one of the key points. That means that once the data is written to a blockchain data store or what we call a ledger, it cannot be changed. It's there forever. The only thing you can do is to destroy the entire, the entire database. But the moment you commit that message, unlike traditional databases like MySQL or Postgres or MongoDB or the traditional database system that we use now, the, there is what you call the CRUD operation. CRUD means create, update, uh, 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 and delete, uh, basically. So create retrieve, or, or create, retrieve, update, and delete. What it means, basically, is that I can create a record on a 
traditional database, I can pick the ID or a particular um, field that I can use to filter. I can get, retrieve that particular record. I can update that record, you know, depending on the way the database is designed, it, it might be possible for me to update everything on the record apart from the ID. So meaning that if the transaction was done by Ojo, I can actually log into that system and change the transaction uh, owner or the, the person that performed that transaction. I can simply change that record. And by the time people retrieve that record, you just realize that that record now belongs to someone. So, I mean, it's now has now been done by someone else. And you're wondering, how did that even happen? You know, and that has been the major problem that we've had. Corruption uh, has been one of the major problems in this country. We are all aware of that. But you can't throw away the fact that one of the reasons it has been easy for people to, you know, steal money and go scot-free, you know, is because even when there is a record, even when there is a database of their transaction, they can always look for someone somewhere to bribe, give money to, promise something. And by the time you wake up the following day, the entire data has been changed. You have situations where, you know, a student take an exam, the exam record has been recorded after the result was finally released. Even you as the lecturer that imputed the record in the first place, a student that you were very sure the student got, an, got a, uh, a C, for instance, by the time the result was finally re re um, released from, you know, from, from, from the school, the person now has an A. And you're wondering, how exactly did that happen? It is possible because that record can be updated, which is, that means that record is, uh, is mutable. But what blockchain does, the way blockchain operates is that the record on blockchain is absolutely immutable. Before we spend too much time here, you know, let's go on to what are some of the key features. I've, I've mentioned some of those features a bit, and then we'll go into application in a moment so that we can see beyond finance, where exactly does, where exactly can we use blockchain? Perhaps it might be, then be an, uh, enough inspiration for you to start looking at what investment should I be making in this area? What is the capacity of the investment that can go into this area? And how much should I also invest in myself in the place of knowledge? One is trust. I think I've mentioned that. Then the other thing is that it's, the entire system is decentralized. Decentralization means that you, we don't have a situation where one person is in control. There is no central bank of blockchain, right? If there are 500 of us, we can create a network just the same way at Zone Tech Park, we can choose to create a blockchain network using our own, our, our, our developer's computer as the nodes. So we're mining, we can, you know, we can start mining our own, our own coins, we can start mining our own, create our own network, a private network in itself. Because we are all participating on that network, it means that I as the CTO cannot just wake up one day and make a change we need everybody. That's why we said it is consensus-based. Before anything can change on that network, there has, to be a there has to be consensus. If not, it renders the entire network invalid. So it is very, very difficult to make changes. It is decentralized, it is distributed, which is the whole idea of Node, and it is faster. Um, I mean, by, so which means, one, it cannot be corrupted. We are using a whole lot of decentralized technology, then there is enhanced security because it, it then makes it very difficult before you can start thinking of how do I break this system. Um, there's a distributed ledger, there's consensus, and there is faster settlement. We'll talk about faster settlement um, uh, shortly. For instance, faster settlement is one of the things that, one of the properties of blockchain that we can easily apply to cross-border remittance. So for instance, I want to send money from country A to country B because I don't, I won't have to go through the central bank. I won't have to go through a particular central bank. Uh, it means that I can send my money 
how long will it take for the money to actually for, for the money that I'm sending now to get to the pet to the receiver? It is exactly how long it will take to mine, you know, to create the block. Basically, as the moment the block is created, the money has dropped, and it's as simple as that. Um, then, what are now some of the key use cases? Now, mind you, there are a number of use cases. Obviously, there are also challenges. Uh, we will not come here and say, oh, blockchain is the new norm. Just the same way we've had, we have challenges with artificial intelligence. Which, and later on, you can then begin to see at the point where artificial intelligence begins to combine with blockchain, how much more can we do? So some of the implementation use cases include trade and finance. I've just mentioned one of it. Food safety. So for instance, I'm, you know, I just bought a particular food. That food has a tag. It, is, it, it then becomes possible for me to be able to track exactly what has happened to that food during the delivery process. If something had changed, you know, I can easily know without the fear that ah, somebody could have edited the data. Then the supply chain, retail, government services, intellectual property protection, healthcare services. I have an entire slide on that. Insurance management. Insur the insurance companies can be very sure that the data we are receiving is actually the right data. Oil and gas, real estate. And some of the areas that we can, some of the issues that we probably won't be able to have a lot of time to talk about is one, interoperability. Because now, imagine a situation, I've just mentioned that at Zoom Tech Park, we can wake up today and start to create our own blockchain network. It means another company X can create their own. Another company X can, another company Y can create their own. So one of the bigger challenges, which are some of the problems, which create a lot of opportunities also for the smart guys, is then how do we ensure interoperability among you know, several independent networks that are not really co uh, connected. Being able, the ability of this network to be able to interact. Then one, there are legacy networks. Skill set is one of the major problems. Like the, uh, the, 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 the moderator who ushered in this call mentioned that there, is an, there was an article published on LinkedIn earlier this year, and a number of other organizations, reputable organizations, have also lent their voice to that same, uh, to that same by us, that blockchain tops the list of test job in the market right now in terms of if you have the skill trust me it is just something else the jobs is the jobs are available the methodology the mass adoption are also um to, to pull it off yes there's a there's a bit of cost that also goes into it and then i created these nine verticals of blockchain transformation nine verticals guide i mean this is just us trying to you know put things together technology media law and crime transportation government services human rights finance and contract um we should be able to share this slide um, with, uh, with us eventually at the end of, um, of this presentation, okay? So now let's look at healthcare directly. Let's just speak healthcare. How exactly can healthcare be used in the, uh, sorry, how exactly can blockchain be used in, the health, in health? I'm trying to run away from finance a little because everybody seems to understand it, it's almost clear how blockchain can be used in the finance sector um can you guys hear me yes we can thank you yeah, yeah. so it's, it's very clear already how, how blockchain can be employed in the healthcare sector i'm uh, sorry in in the finance sector but in the healthcare what are some of the use cases that we can find Let's take a look at some of the current challenges that we have in the current healthcare system. And this is not a Nigerian problem. Um, this is not a problem localized to Nigeria alone. A number of us have been victims of counterfeit drugs. Whether we've not been victims ourselves, but we mostly know people 
who have suffered from, you know, the consequences of purchasing the wrong drug. You know, they paid the right money, but they got the, they got the wrong uh, 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 delivery. And for some, some have had to die in this process. Some people have had to carry, you know, uh, come out of it, of it with another illness, probably worse than what they were even treating at the, at the beginning. Um, you know, so some of those are, that's one of the major problems. Data segmentation has been a major issue. Healthcare security and data storage. Um, so right now, there is what we call PIs, personal information. You go into some of these, um, these hospitals every day in, day out. People drop their personal information, not just their personal information, even their health records. And it is, we all understand that it is relatively illegal, you know, for an organization, for, for an hospital, for instance, to give out people's medical records without their consent, basically. But the question is, uh, someone's mic is on. Arimbola, please, can you deal with that? Okay, so we've, we, we already understand this problem. Now, how exactly can we use blockchain to solve some of these issues, basically? Uh, one, you know, we need to be able to guarantee interoperability, we need to be able to guarantee security, maintenance, cost, data integrity, and universal access. I was mentioning earlier, before the, before the interruption, that there are, you know, medical records are not meant to be shared, right? How can you be sure that I want to be able to protect my medical records um, by myself, for myself, do you understand? Such that you are sure that the moment that record is entered, for anybody to have access to it, that person needs to come through you. Right now, you all know that that is not the case. You know, um, so one, I put here that drug traceability, we, we, can, we, we can be able to solve drug counterfeit uh, by providing timestamp and immutable transaction along the entire supply chain such that if something goes wrong along the line, you can easily track it. Then patient data management. Blockchain can be used to manage and store patient data securely. You know, this will improve personalized and on-the-point treatment and also prevent the legal sharing of records. Uh, the legal sharing of records. Then um, clinical trials. Now, this is one area that, that excites me a lot, right? Um, because when, when, for instance, we all know about COVID-19 right now, and there's, there's a lot of drugs that will be coming out of the laboratories uh, in the next couple of, um, in the next couple of, 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 of weeks or months. Before those drugs can make it to, into the market, um, someone's mic is actually on. Before, before that, those drugs can actually make it into the market, one of the things that has to happen is clinical trial. These, uh, these pharmaceutical companies need to test they need to come out and say, we've tested this, it's working, it's not working. You know, they, they need to be able to correctly come out and really um, present the data of their trials. Now, can this, data, can this data be manipulated? Of course. Of course, the data can be manipulated, um, which is why it then becomes extremely important to be able, which is why it then becomes extremely important to be able to, um, to be able to, you know, safeguard and 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 uh, and protect those that particular information, such that when people put in their record, the moment we are able to say, okay, this is the record, uh, this is the result from the clinical trial. How can we be sure that those records are actually genuine? How can we be sure that they've not been tampered with? And these are um, these are critical questions that need to be 
that need to be answered, uh, basically. Okay. Okay. These are critical questions that need to be answered, um, especially as, as, as we go on. Now, also, in the area of claim and billing, you know, people need to be able to know that whatever it is that we're, that, that we're being shagged is what we're being paid, right? If you're able to remove intermediates from the entire system, it will reduce how much people are having to pay for health because it means that patients can pay directly without necessarily having to deal with uh, a, lot, a lot of the present uh, overhead that we presently have. Um, also, final, uh, in terms of government, and this is uh, the interesting thing, what are some of the use cases for blockchain in government services? Already, a number of, a number of countries have started employing, uh, adopting blockchain technology. The United States, obviously, UK, Switzerland, Estonia, Dubai, India, and Chile, and a number of um, several other, including Germany. Now, law enforcement, for instance, government can use public blockchain data to monitor transactions. Trust me, this, this can happen because you then know that it cannot change. It will make the life of EFCC easier to be able to say, you know, the, the, it means that there won't be a situation where they suddenly get to court and then the data has changed and all that. Legislation records, bills and payment, welfare distribution, healthcare services. They've been able to also digitize ID. In this country, one of our major problems is that we don't have identification. But the point is blockchain technology can actually help us. So these are solutions that are begging to be developed, basically taxation, security and safety, cyber protection and all. And we've mentioned a number of other application area also, which I'm just going to skip. Um, basically, if we look at the central, uh, the central, the way the systems are run presently, we have a central server, they, it connects to the internet, people connect to it. It means that a number of things can happen on that central server. But the way it's going to be done in the era of blockchain, you are not going to have a single central server that is controlling everything. You are going to have decentralized servers and databases that are scattered everywhere. But they all have the same content, the same amount of information on them. So it means that you can't just go to the server in London and make changes to the record because by then the other servers will not be able to authenticate and verify that the information on that particular server. This, this essentially means one, there will be no central authority. Data flow becomes seamless and then it will give birth to a new set of business model, uh, basically. So overall, so the, bigger, the next question is, which is now the principles. We've talked about, by now, I'm sure we, we already have a, a better understanding of what exactly can blockchain be used for. Yeah, but that has not necessarily answered the question of what is it? You know, why exactly is it that strong? Why exactly is it that robust? There are four key characteristics or there are four key technologies that we are already used to. This technology had nothing to do with blockchain. Or let me put it this way. These technologies have been in existence long before, before blockchain. So blockchain did not give birth to them, but blockchain has leveraged extensively on these technologies. One of them is what we call hash functions, you know, because we have developers on this course, so we are going to journey through a few of these in a relatively non-technical way that will make it very easier for all of us to understand. Hash functions, public key cryptography, um, public key infrastructure, which we call PKIs, as well as chain of trust. How do we establish trust? So let's quickly go through 
hash function. I'm not going to go through the mathematical jargons. I've tried to, re to reduce that as much as possible. But an, a, a hash, for instance, is just a, it's a simple function that maps data of an arbitrary length to a unique fixed length. Um, forgive me for that uh, big English. Now, you can see the equation that I've highlighted here. Hash of x equals to y. It means that I have a piece of information. Hi, there's a message that is going to be asked. Just imagine that is the message. Maybe the message is you sending a text message to your friend or the message is you are sending. The same way um, we send messages across from one person to another. I'll, instead of sending that message in the raw form, you know, over the internet, what all, I sim all we simply do is to create a hash of that message. That means the message you're seeing is not what is being transmitted quote and unquote, what is being transmitted is a, is a converted form. So you, all you just see is a, is a bit of hexadecimal numbers, hexadecimal numbers, so maybe nine, three, four, five. So you start wondering, I sent, I sent a message, how come I'm receiving a, a, you know, an, a series of number? And the interesting thing about ASH is that it's a one-way function. The same way, I, you know, just the same way I can generate a hash of X, I can generate the inverse of there's nothing like an inverse of an ash. What that means is that if I create, if I have a message, my name is Daniel, and I create the ash of that message, there is no algorithm on X that you can, that you want to, at least not as of today, that you can employ that will allow you to be able to compute X back from Y. That means it's a one-way traffic. Mm. So the question then, I don't know how many people are looking at that, but the question then becomes, if, I, if I'm sending a message and I hash it, and the recipient of that message, somebody is actually writing uh, a lot of, uh, using the annotation, I'm not sure. Can you guys see my screen properly without the O? Yes, we can see your screen, but the screen is, 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 is so dirty. The screen is messed up already. Yeah, okay, so the admin, now. please. Admin, please. It's okay now. It's okay. The person has started again. Okay, so. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll just leave this uh, window open. So if I see it come up, I'll clear it immediately. Now, so let's go to, wow. Okay, mouse. So is it possible to stop people from having access to do this? Can't, yeah. can't stop people and stop them. You can disable everybody from, right? You can disable people from having access to the screen. Mutes and everything with video. What's wrong with this idiot? Uh, don't get angry. Okay, we'll, we'll figure that out. Clear viewers drawing. Uh, okay, just give me a minute to see if there's a way to deal with that. Uh, okay. So, uh, one of the admins can actually help with that. Um, that's um, Abimbola, please. Just click on annotate and you see clear. Maybe you just keep clearing that interval, right? The person might have just left it off and walked away, but knows why. <laughs> okay, so let's go on, please, so that I can concentrate. Okay, so the first thing then, so the next thing, I've, I've just explained uh, PKIs. So, uh, sorry, hashing function. Hashing means that you take that message, you, you hash it. Hashing is different from encryption. You are not encrypting. Hashing simply means you are hashing. Hashing means you're converting it to a, to a particular hash. Abimbola, can you clear this screen, please? 
I guess the question is on Hakao. Daniel. Yeah, I, yes, sir. Please give me back hosting. Um, listen, let me let me sort it out back end. I'm, I'll disable the feature. Completely. All right, no problem. Thank you. So you can continue presenting. Just give me back hosting. Thank you. All right. All right, sir. Okay. I've done that, sir. Okay, so thank you. Thank you for your patience, guys. Uh, Zoom is not supposed to be archival. Hopefully by next time, we, we have a, we actually, we do, we do have a, a video conferencing platform internally at, at, the, uh, at Zone Tech Park that we built in-house that we'll probably use that next time. Um, okay, so like I was saying, I'm sure some of us have already looked at the question again. If I can hash a function, then if, if it is impossible for me to unhash, how then do I get my information back? I'm sure that's a question that a number of us are probably starting to wonder about. Now, we'll answer that question in a moment, but the next thing we then look at is what we call public key cryptography. Cryptography means that I can generate two keys, and this has been in use. I'm sure some, a number of developers on this call have used this approach in the past, whether directly or indirectly. You generate two keys. One is called the public key. The other one is called the private key. So the whole idea is I will keep the, pop, the private key to myself, right? And then I can give the public key to you. So if I send you a message, I will use the private key, my own private key to encrypt it. That means what the other person is going to see will not make sense. When it gets to you, if whoever has the right key, the complementary key would be able to um, unlock that message. So it's just like the key is just like I create a message that will lock it. If it appears to any other person on the network, that person cannot make sense of it. And then, but when it gets to the right person who has the key, it will be able to unlock it and then you can see the content of the message. That's what public key cryptography is. So just imagine, I'm sending a message, right? So the message says, this is a super, super secret message. That's the example. I simply take that message, I unlock it with a private key. After unlocking it, what you will see is a series of numbers. It means it has been encrypted. It won't make sense. It's nothing you can make sense about of. And then you come, when it gets to the final person who owns that message, that person would be able to encrypt it, right? And then be able to, it will be able to decrypt. So the first one is called encryption. The other half is called decryption. You will use that key to decrypt it. Now, there's a bigger question here, maybe a very subtle question. How then do we, is there a difference? What's the difference between a private and a public key? Honestly, the whole idea is that you generate two keys, right? It can be any one of them. It doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be, there's no one particularly labeled as private or public, right? So, but then you keep one key to yourself, use the other key. Uh, and the interesting thing is that even you that you encrypt the message, if you lose the other key, you also won't be able to access that message uh, again, ever. Now, let's now look out how communication is being made on a network. Imagine there are three people on this network. I, I, I intend to round off in like five minutes so that we can have time for questions and answers. We have Alice, Bob, and Chris. Alice intends to send a message to say Bob. But if he sends this message on this network, I am sending a message. This message simply, uh, this message, the moment he sends this message, wow, uh, everybody on the network can have access to the message, basically. And that's, that's, that's not fair, uh, basically. So the whole idea is that a much better network is that instead of sending the message directly on the platform, instead of sending the message directly on the platform, uh, 
each participant on the network will be able to um, generate both their own two pairs of key, private and public, private and public, private and public. So as soon as they generate their pairs of keys, you're then, when you, so you, you keep your private key and broadcast, broadcast your public key. So everybody on the, on the, on the platform has your public key. Uh, so which is what you are seeing in the big question. So again, at least we generate public and private key. You then broadcast the, the public key. The public key is great. The private key is good, uh, basically. Hmm. This is a serious matter on Zoom today. <laughs> can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Yes, we can hear you. Now, so let's say Alice wants to send a message to Bob. So the whole idea is that Alice wants to send a message like, let's meet at noon tomorrow, right? So he would pick that message and encrypt it with his, uh, so he picked the message and encrypt it with his own um, key. And then he would then broadcast that message. Everybody on the, on the, on the network, won't, even if they would be able to see the message, but they won't be able to make sense uh, of the message at all. So the next question then become, how then do you, do, do you then go ahead to actually read that message? So it means whoever has access to that particular private key can pick that message, decrypt it, and then Bob knows uh, that, oh, let's meet, at, let's meet at noon. That's the message because he has the right key. Because Chris does not have that key, he would then not be able to uh, decrypt the message. It will just keep appearing like it's a bunch of, um, like you are going from one set of, you know, uh, nonsense message to another, to another um, set sense, to another set of uh, message that you really can make sense of. The third thing, which is one of the things we'll then look at is how, after Bob has received the message, how will Bob be able to know, even though he has the key, is there a way for Bob to actually know that this message is truly coming from Alice? and not that someone else has actually picked that message. That is the whole essence of signature. I'm sure we've all used that uh, many, many, many times in the past, you know, where you say, meet me and know tomorrow, and then you sign it. So it's called digital signature, which is extremely part of the things that we always deal with. So let's look at the new, this is what I can now refer to as an algorithm, basically, forgive me. So Alice wants to send a message. So Alice picks a message, meet me at noon. It will ask that message, Right. So after Alice has, has decided to ask the message, it can then go on to encrypt the hash. Right. So you then add the encrypted message plus the original message, and then you digitally sign it, and then you send. So this guy is now sending out why 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 instead of meet me at noon. When the other person receives the message, you pick the private key, the key that he has, decrypt the message, and then you don't calculate the hash. Can you see that the message here is simply, this is meet me at noon. We're adding it to the hash. We are not hashing the message uh, again. We hash the message in the first case. But then after decryption, after you've decrypted the message at layer one, what you will end up with is the meet me at noon plus the encrypted hash, right? So you then take that encrypted hash and decrypt it, right? So it will produce the hash. So what you would then do to be able to know if the message is correct is to pick the you already have the hash, and then take the message itself that you, re, that you, that you collected, hash that message, and compare the two hash. If the two hashes are the same, it means the message is right. If the two hashes are not the same, it means the message is corrupt. So that is how, so that explains why we don't unhash. What we simply do is you do another hash on the other side, 
it allows you to be able to, uh, wow, this is a serious <laughs> uh, one, you know. Okay, then we have the public inf infrastructure. I want to be able to leave some room for question and answer, uh, basically. We have the public infrastructure, and then you have what you call the certificate authority. What that does is that- Just ignore the drawings. We are, we yeah. are hearing you. Okay, you, you, you then have what you call the certificate authority. What the certificate authority does is that everybody is sending a message. How can I be sure that even the public key, the private and the public key that have accepted or that have picked up from the network openly actually comes from a trusted user on the platform, which is why there is now the need to have a central authority called the certificate authority. Some of us have worked with um, uh, uh, less encrypt before, right? For some of us who have had to deploy our site, we need to you know, set up SSL. So what, what less encrypt does is more of what you call the certificate authority. If the certificate of your, of your website has expired, if your website starts showing uh, insecure sites, in some instances, people won't be able to access it. And that's basically one of the things that it does. Um, and then you establish a chain, a chain of trust. Um, I don't want to spend too much time here, but really, these are the four things that happen. So one, how do we ensure that we're able to send messages conveniently on the platform without getting compromised? So one, you encrypt the message, you sign the you digitally sign the message, and you ensure that everybody's pulling data from a trusted uh, base. So a number of other things that we can look at, there are private networks, there are pro public networks, there are what you call federated networks. I've put this, I'll share this slide after the, uh, shortly together when we are sending the recording out uh, for this slide. This is, this is blockchain in general, right? We've, not, we've, we've barely scratched the surface. But I think one of the things that has become very clear, uh, one of the things that has become very, very clear to us here on this call is the amount of what we can do with blockchain. If you think you can do 1,000 things with artificial, with artificial intelligence and, um, and, uh, you know, and machine learning, then you probably can do 3,000 more with blockchain because everybody's craving for security, security now. So the question is, are you a doer? Do you have an idea? Do you think you can code? You know all that. So the whole point is, this is where we come into place. We have a community that is growing. We want you to join our community. One of the things that we're looking at is extending. You, you want to extend your knowledge, you know, to learn more and get ready for, for your next career move. This, I mean, I used to be a lecturer. I had to move, I made a major career move, you know, and I think everybody can actually make that call at a point. You might have been a mobile development and then you just realize that, oh, I want to stop programming mobile because there's more money in this area or there is more that can happen I can in this area. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Loud and okay. clear. Okay. So what I'm saying is that, are you a doer? Do you intend to join our community? Three things we're looking at that we're looking at. Whether you want to extend your community, whether there is a project that you actually know someone or you yourself want to build, we can partner together and deliver that. Whether you actually want to work with us. I mean, we, we, are, we are still recruiting. Basically, we are recruiting. We are having new developers join us from time to time. And we also recruit and also, we also recruit for other organizations. So the truth is, if you have the skills, you don't have to hide in the corner right all you have to do is just dedicate some maybe three months four months to actually sharpen your own skill you know and then you are ready for that next big move um thank you very much we will be having a number of announcements that will be coming up later in the year obviously we all have your your record let me leave now so that we can take some question and answer and then it becomes a little bit more uh engaging thank you 
All right, thank you, Daniel. Thank you very much. Um, please, if you have questions, kindly drop your questions in the chat box. And then we'll take um, a couple of them. We'll not be able to take all of them, but I'm sure we'll be able to take um, quite a few of them. Please. Yeah. So just looking at the, okay, looking at the, some of the questions that, um, some of the questions that we have, I'm just looking through the chat to see uh, if there are questions already that we can play with. I'm just going to stop sharing my screen. Uh, if you have a question, you can just type it. Uh, yeah, this, this session is being recorded. Um, definitely, as soon as possible, we will be able to share this, uh, the, the video recording with you. But more importantly, somebody is talking about blockchain for Nigeria election. In fact, I had a record uh, in a particular state in the United States. I, I was looking at that record where they, they are trying to try out blockchain for voting. Because what it means is that... What it means is that the moment people vote, you cannot change it. And for me, I think that might be the revolution that we've been waiting for in the Nigerian political landscape. Uh, so someone asked, is blockchain a database management system? No, it's not a database management system. But in, when you look at database management system from the, from the perspective of, um, of um, record keeping, yeah, it does keep record. In fact, as a matter of fact, a number of people prefer to use, I know some blockchain that use CouchDB as their database. So it's not a database itself, right? It's a technology that, that builds around ensuring that what goes into that database uh, actually doesn't change. Um, so someone said, election poses a new set of problems. How can blockchain be applied in marketing? A whole lot. The slide, there's one of my slides where I have attempted to actually answer a bit of questions on digital marketing, especially on one of the slides. By the time we share that slide, we will be able to actually engage more. And um, we can engage more on questions. We're available on Twitter, on Facebook. We can engage more on that community. I'm available. Everybody on the team is available to actually answer a number of our questions. Um, well, somebody said Zoom is not Akibu. Well, unfortunately, uh, we're not particularly sure what happened today. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, um, okay. I don't think we have uh, any question uh, here, but someone said I started a blockchain nano degree course on Udacity. And uh, yeah, this is quite this is quite interesting, and I'm sure we can actually work together uh, somewhere down the line. If you, whether you want to grow or you want to, um, you know, contribute to humanity through your skills, that is why we are here for you. Uh, basically, somebody said, which programming language would you recommend for anyone to look into uh, for blockchain? Well, um, Solidity used to be very, very powerful, but now a number of programming languages, including Python, JavaScript, and all that, are now being used because there's now a number of wrappers that have been built around several technologies. And um, within the Zone Tech Park space, we are going to be making, hopefully, we'll be talking more about this blockchain and what it means for all of us uh, as we go on. Just keep yourself, I mean, take your time to look at our website from time to time. We'll update will provide detailed information on next steps. Uh, basically, we do have some announcement that should be coming up uh, very soon, but I won't let the bell, uh, the cat out of the, uh, out of the bag yet. Uh, someone said, how do I get started? We'll um, provide an article on our website uh, before the end of next week. 
to capture some of the things we said now and how should you get started. Our website is zoomtechpark.co. Uh, we'll provide an article on that. Please uh, just get used to it. I'm trying to rush because we've exceeded our time by one minute and I really want to ensure that we go through uh, some of the questions that has been uh, already dropped. Unfortunately, I'm not sure we would be able to take all the questions because I'm seeing like 60 something more uh, uh, chat going on here. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, it's been a wonderful session. Uh, it's been a wonderful session with you. Like I said earlier, we're available on all social media. On Twitter, we are on ZoneTech underscore Park, um, on Instagram, as well as this lecture would also be available on our YouTube channel. You can just search for uh, ZoneTech Park on YouTube. Would uh, I mean, this particular recording will be available there, as well as some of our older uh, webinars also. Uh, thank you very much, guys. It's been a wonderful session uh, with you. Allow me All right, thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you very, very much. The session was very, very enlightening. Um, so would um, answer some of the other questions that have been sent to the chat box I'm gonna answer now. Um, the responses will be sent um, via mail and um, every other channel that we got your contacts from. Thank you very much for joining us. We hope to see you in our next webinar that will be coming up um, shortly as well. Do have a lovely rest of the day. Thank you very much. Thank you.